morning. It is good to be with you. How many of y'all recognized and noticed that Phil missed preaching, right? He's ready, he's ready to jump back in. So come next week as Phil will actually begin our sermon series in Luke. Um, but it's good to be with you all. If you guys don't know who I am, my name's Sam Smith. Um, I'm a, a park pastor who's in the process of planting a new park church in the neighborhood of Uptown. Um, and so, hey, hey I'll, I'll take it. I'll take it. Uh, we are, man, we are excited and we are moving forward. Our, our core team is growing there. We have a 24-7 space that God has given us in the heart of Uptown, right at, on North Broadway, right across from the Wilson Red Line stop by the, the Target there in, in Uptown. Um, we are beginning some pre-launch gatherings there. In fact, on September 17th, you want to mark your calendars here. September 17th, which is a Sunday, 10.30 a.m. at that location, 4427 North Broadway. This should have been in your weekly email if you got it. Um, we will be hosting uh, a um, values lunch there. Basically, what we're going to do over the rest of the year is periodically we're going to meet on Sundays there, just about seven Sundays throughout the rest of the year, and we're going to unpack our values as a church. Like, what do we care about at the end of the day for a new church in, in Uptown? We're going to unpack a, a value per Sunday, um, looking at our values through the Scripture, and then we're going to have lunch afterwards, and you're invited to that. We'd love to see you there. It's a, great, it's a great step into to check out, all right, what's this church all about? What do they care about? What do they believe? Um, and then have lunch with us afterwards, which will be provided by the church. Um, so please RSVP for that. Again, that was, should be in your weekly email that Pastor John sent out. Um, if you don't have the information, talk to me or Pastor Jason Lalone or Pastor John. We can make sure, or, or Phil, and we can make sure we get that information to you. And I know some of y'all are interested in the church plan because some of y'all have mentioned to me. So this is a lean-in moment for y'all, all right? Um, um, but for today, um, I get to preach a one-off sermon, which is always exciting for me because I get to pick any scripture text in the entire Bible. Um, as we just finished our summer series, and as I mentioned next week, we begin our Luke series. Um, but today we're going to talk about this topic on how to change the city. <laughs> how to change the city. And I admit, on the forefront... Right, this is a monumental task, how to change the city, right? One that can seem quite, quite impossible given the complexities and the brokenness of a city like Chicago, right? And yet I know this, I know this, y'all. I know that all of us in this room today long for a better city, don't we? We long for a better city. If you're a Christian in the room or a non-Christian in the room, if you're religious or irreligious, we all long for a better city, Amen. Listen, we long for a city where crime diminishes, right? We long for a city where the cost of living diminishes. <laughs> we long for a city where unity increases, amen? We long for a city where the overall quality of life for everyone increases. We long for a city where justice and holiness and goodness and love and flourishing and joy increase, Amen? And listen, when I speak of our longings, whether we know or not, when we speak of our longings, we are actually longing for the city of God. We're actually longing for the city of God, for the place that is filled with the presence of God. And therefore a place, listen, a place where death and pain and racism and classism and taxes and bad infrastructure, right, and loneliness and injustices and sin are no more. That's what we long for. That's the city of God. That's where the presence of God fully dwells. 
In fact, in the scriptures, the book of Hebrews says that those who came before us longed for a better city, one that was to come whose builder and maker was God himself, referring to the city of God. Of course, Jesus, as he's dialoguing with his disciples, when they say, hey, Lord, teach us to pray, he says to them, this is how to pray. Pray your Father, Father, your kingdom and your will be done on earth in our moment now as it currently is and exists in heaven. Which means, listen, which means that the way to change a city in the here and now begins with reflecting the city that is to come. It begins with, with looking at and seeing the city of God begin to be reflected here and now. So question, <laughs> how do we do that? Right, how do we do that? Well, today we're going to look at a story in the book of Acts, and we're going to see this reality of the kingdom of God coming to earth through everyday people like you and me. So let me read the text for today, and then I'll pray, and we'll jump into the sermon. We're in Acts today. I've been reading through Acts every day for the last, I don't know how many months, preparing my heart to plant a church, because the, the book of Acts is all about the movement of God, the movement of the gospel outward to reach new peoples, Amen. So Acts 8, if you have a Bible, Bible app, I think it's on the screen. Acts 8 today, verses 1 through 8. Let me read it for us. It says, And Saul approved of his, at Stephen's, execution. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and saw the signs that he did. For unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out of many who had them and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was much joy in that city. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for your word. As Phil so remind us of that we we see you we learn of you we we get shaped by you through your word we need your word it is true and good and beautiful so thank you for your word today may we be shaped by it today may it encourage us today may it exhort us today may hearts be changed may eyes be opened today because of the preaching of your word so do your work today and holy spirit help me to boldly and clearly Declare the word of God as I ought to. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so today we, we're going to look at a story where some hard things had to come to move people to where they needed to be. All right, let me say that again. We're going to look at a story where some hard things had to come to move people to where they needed to be. All right, we enter today's text on the heels of a guy named Stephen preaching a really solid sermon in chapter 7 and then getting murdered because it went against the grain of what the surrounding culture believed, right? Now listen, it wasn't the Roman culture that murdered Stephen. We might assume that. The irreligious folk aren't the ones who murdered Stephen in this moment. 
It was, in fact, the same religious culture that murdered Jesus, right? It was these Jewish religious elite that murdered Jesus. This group of people, listen, they kept trying to snuff out the movement of the gospel. They kept trying to snuff it out, but thus far, it has been backfiring on them. And it will backfire today in this text once again. In the context of Acts 7 that we're in today, before Stephen was killed, the early church had experienced some great highs, right? The Holy Spirit had, had, had fallen and had filled the, his people, he had filled the early church. And thousands of people were putting their faith and trust in Jesus and they were joining the church of Jerusalem. It basically became a mega church overnight. And the leaders of this church were being used. They were being used greatly by God. They were performing miracles. They were proclaiming the gospel boldly. They were learning to adjust to new growth, and they were putting deacons into leadership to care for those who had tangible needs within the church. And Stephen here was one of those deacons. And his death at the hands of these religious leaders sparked something that was hard for a church that was experiencing a lot of highs. It sparked something called persecution. You can look at the text in Acts 8, verses 1. It says, And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were scattered. Saul was ravaging the church. And entering house after house, he dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. And so we see that as this intense persecution began to gather momentum, that there was this scattering of the church of Jerusalem that took place. Now, on one hand, this scattering was devastating, wasn't it? Like, people were, were forced to leave their homes. They were, they were, families were ripped apart, right? Men and women were committed to prison. They were dragged off from their families. People were forced to leave their homes and their church and their relationships and their city because of the level of persecution they were experiencing. But listen, we will see that this scattering wasn't in vain. Families and individuals that followed Jesus from the great city of Jerusalem were now scattered like seed to be sown. In fact, there's two initial things in this first section, verses 1 through 4, this first section that I want us to take note of today. Number one is this. Where were these people scattered to? It says they're scattered. Where are they scattered to? Look at the text. It says, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. Right, this should cause us to pause for a moment if we know our Bibles. Right, because in Acts 1.8, the very beginning of the same book, Jesus said to his followers, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come. And you will then be my witnesses to Jerusalem, to Judea and Samaria and to the very ends of the earth. Did you hear that? Jesus said, when the Holy Spirit falls on you, You will be my witnesses. You will be my sent ones to declare the gospel to Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria. All right, quick quiz time for the Bible scholars in the room. We are in chapter 8 of Acts today. What chapter did the Holy Spirit fall on the church? Shout it out if you know it. Chapter 2, I heard somebody. Chapter 2, right? And from that moment onward... When the Holy Spirit falls on the church in chapter 2, from that moment onward, the the church of Jerusalem saw thousands of people, thousands and thousands of people put their trust and faith in Jesus. And they were faithfully declaring the gospel and God was building his church in Jerusalem. Jerusalem church was growing. It was thriving. But listen, how many of us know this? 
that when things go well in our organization or our part of town, that we can keep building our thing and forget about the broader mission. All right? We can keep building our thing and forget about the thing we were called to. Right? Listen, how tempting it can be to enjoy a season of growth in the comforts of home or the comforts of commonality and yet forget that right down the street or across the globe, there are so many people that need to hear about the good news we have. And this is what's happened in the church of Jerusalem. Jesus had called them to scatter the gospel far and wide, but thus far they have, they have kept it at this point just for their people and their part of the region. Judea and Samaria had yet to experience the movement of the gospel through the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, it could be argued that there were reasons why Jerusalem was content with building a megachurch in their region. But there's one reason that scholars in the historical context agrees on, and it was this. Listen to me. The church of Jerusalem was filled with people who had a lot of commonalities. Right? They had similar religious backgrounds, similar cultural practices. They had a shared ethnicity. And listen, they had a shared hatred for the people who didn't share their commonalities with them. Right? People like the Samaritans and the Gentiles. And so it was likely prejudice and a superiority complex that kept them from sharing the best news in the world with others that weren't like them. And listen, I didn't have to search for this answer or create it to make a point. It is evident throughout the pages of the New Testament and throughout the context of the book of Acts itself. The Jewish people during this time had a deep-seated hatred for the Samaritans and the Gentiles. Historically, there was a lot of beef between the Jewish people of Jerusalem and the mixed-race people of Samaria. In fact, Israel looked down at disgust on the Samaritans who in their eyes did not have the right ethnicity or the correct theology. And so the people of of Jerusalem didn't want to cross the line into another region because of those type of people over there. They lacked, listen, they lacked the compassion of God and struggled with his call to make disciples of all peoples. And so God allows the persecution that has already taken place to be a catalyst, to be a catalyst to send and scatter his people to be the witnesses he had called them to be. Listen, God knows that prejudice, that this idea of prejudice that the history of humanity has always struggled with, that it can be broken, yes, to the gospel, right? Think about Ephesians 2, where Paul writes that, that the walls of hostility between Jew and Gentile was broken down finally through the gospel, through the cross of Christ, and that Christ takes two groups of people and makes them one new family through the gospel. And God also knows, listen, that prejudice can be broken through proximity. It's hard to love people from a distance, isn't it? It's hard to meet tangible needs if we don't know the needs of a place. It's hard to know someone from just their social media posts. It's hard to break down the walls without first taking down a fence or stepping over a neighborhood line and living among the other. So listen, God in his sovereignty, because of his great love for all people, made a way here for the gospel to move outward to Judea and Samaria despite the lack of movement of his people. Hear me out here. Sometimes God has to move us to place us where he wants us. Sometimes God's got to move you and me. Sometimes God's got to move his people to place his people 
where he wants his people. All right, so that's the first thing I want us to see in this section, where they were scattered to. They were scattered to Judea and Samaria because of God's love for all people groups. Now, here's the second thing I want us to notice in this section. Not just where they were scattered, but who was scattered. Who was scattered? Look at verse 1. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. This is so intriguing to me. I nerd out at this. This is intriguing. You would think that God would scatter some of the apostles, some of the leaders of the church to go plant the gospel in the places he told them to go back in Acts 1. But they stay at home, at the home base here in Jerusalem, at least at this point. They stay put. And instead, God does something remarkable. And not only is it remarkable, but it's very empowering. Listen, he scatters everyday people to be his messengers and his sent ones. <laughs> Look, he scatters and he sends blacksmiths and bakers and moms and dads. He's, he scatters and sends military personnel and consultants and farmers and shepherds. He scatters and sends shop owners and designers and construction workers and finance leaders. They become the sent ones of God to Judea and Samaria. And listen, in a culture, speaking of a Christian culture here, in a culture that often props up the religious elite, right, or the clergy, or, or the person with the master's of divinity degree, <laughs> or the pastor, or the celebrity preacher, in that type of culture that often props up the leaders, God does something surprising here, doesn't he? He does what he often does. He, he, he turns it all upside down. Now, he doesn't say that the leaders of the church don't matter or that they don't have the important role to play. They, they obviously do. But what he does is he includes and he empowers those who often believe that they either don't have to do the work of the ministry or they don't believe that they have the ability to do the work of the ministry. <laughs> right? So often, people may find themselves believing that they aren't the called, that they don't have the necessary gifts, that they just got to stay in their lane, that they don't have what it takes, that the, the job in the church is just to receive the preached word or maybe set up some chairs, and you should do both those things but it's not the only things we're called to do. Here we are reminded in this text that everyday followers of Jesus have more than they dreamed at their disposal. Listen, we all have a calling. We all have a calling in this room if we're in Christ. We have the very Spirit of God. If you're in Christ today, you have the Spirit of God residing in you right now. No matter who you are, if you're in Christ, if you have trusted in the work of Jesus and you have the Spirit of God within you who then gives you his wisdom and his mind and his power and his love. And listen, everyday Christians have the gospel. Get this. You have the good news to be able to reach people that pastors and clergy can't reach. Think about this for a moment. I don't have access to the building you live in. I don't have access to your coworkers. I don't have access to the relationships that you have. Listen, you bring something particular to the body of Christ. You have a background or a gift or a personality. You have a connection and insight. And God has ordained that you walk in the good works that he has for you. For you. Everyday people took the gospel from Jerusalem to the surrounding regions. Listen, this was a significant movement in the early church's history, in the, church, in the history of the church. Acts 8 is a turning point, a significant outward movement, and it's led primarily by everyday people. And that's something, isn't it? 
Listen, you and I are here today in Chicago, in Rogers Park in 2023, because everyday people <laughs> took the gospel with them wherever they were scattered. All right, so what does that mean for you today? It means this. It means that you too can be part of spreading the gospel on your block. It means that you too can be part of spreading the gospel in your workplace, in your neighborhood, in the city, and far and wide beyond Chicago. That's what it means. And so in this first section, we find that persecution scattered everyday people to Judea and Samaria. And now what the text does in the second section is it zooms in a bit and it tells us what these people who were scattered did in a city of Samaria particularly. Look at the text. Acts 8, 4 through 7, second part. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and saw the signs that he did. For unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out of many who had them and many who were paralyzed or lamed were healed. As these folks were scattered, we see that they did two different things. Number one, they did this. They declared the gospel. They declared it. We see here that those who were scattered, these everyday people who were, who were forced out of their homes like refugees, went about preaching the word. Right? They had received, listen to me, they had received the good news in Jerusalem. They had received the Holy Spirit in Jerusalem. And now they have taken what they have received and they are now scattering it like seed so that others can receive the good news of the gospel and the Holy Spirit as well. Right? Listen, any one of us, any one of us who have received the good news of the gospel of Jesus are now capable to share it with others. That's what we see them doing here. Listen, they found themselves in a new neighborhood. They found themselves in a new place with new people around them in a hard but new season of life. Maybe some of you all find yourself in that space. New neighborhood, new relationships, a hard season but a new season of life. Anybody there? This is where they found themselves in. And as they found themselves in that new space, they chose to preach the word. Listen, they could have just checked out during this hard season, couldn't they have? They could have just complained. Like, they're persecuted. They've, they've been forced out of homes. They could have just gave up on this Christianity thing. These are new followers of Jesus, right? And this happens fairly soon after they start following Jesus. They could have been like, man, I thought this was going to be like, Amazing. I thought the kingdom of God is going to be a little different looking than this. <laughs> they could have preached a lot of different messages during this hard time. That was not the gospel message. <laughs> but they preached Christ to those God had sent them to and surrounded them with. Amen? And then it zooms in a bit more on this individual. We see this man named Philip. Philip was a, uh, a Jewish, Greek-speaking deacon within the church of Jerusalem. And he too was scattered and he ended up in a city of Samaria. Now again, Samaria. That place that the people of Jerusalem looked down on. And yet Philip did what the others that were scattered did. He proclaimed to the Samaritans the Christ. Jesus the Messiah. And listen, as I read this, I couldn't help but remember the story of the Samaritan woman. Right? The, the story of the woman at the well in the Gospels. You remember this story? Jesus met this woman... Um, in, in John chapter 4. And she immediately knows or figures out that Jesus is Jewish. And it, it didn't make sense to her that a Jewish man was speaking with her because of the opposition between these two people groups. And as Jesus gets into a conversation with her, the theme of the topic quickly moves to this idea of the Messiah. 
the Messiah. And Jesus at one point points to himself and says, listen, I am the Messiah that you have been longing for and waiting for. I'm him and I'm here with you now. And as they have a conversation, like Jesus reveals things about herself to her, to, to her and she begins to trust in Jesus and realize that he indeed is the Messiah. And she believes in Jesus and what she does, if you remember the story, is she tells the others in the town she lived in all about this Jesus. <laughs> Listen, she was in a way the first messenger sent by Jesus to declare the gospel to Samaria. And now we see her in Acts 8 in our text today. Someone filled with the Spirit. Another messenger had been scattered to Samaria to water the seed that was planted in John chapter 4. Philip got to finish the sermon, if you will. Right? For Jesus, when he's in John 4, he had not yet been to the cross when he met the Samaritan woman. He had not yet died for our sins, and he had not yet brought Samaritans and Jews into one family through his death and resurrection. But now Jesus had died here in Acts 8. He has died. He has risen from the dead, and the Spirit of God has fallen and was indwelling his people. And so when Philip shows up, he proclaims to them the Christ, the Messiah, and he gets to tell them what happened to that Messiah that showed up in John chapter 4. He gets to preach the completed gospel story of this Jesus who lived the perfect life for us, who, who died for our sins and rose from the dead, defeating our greatest enemies and bringing us into one new family, both Jew and Samaritan alike. So this is all taking place as Philip declares the gospel of Jesus to the Samaritans. Things are now coming full circle from John chapter 4 and Acts 1-8 is beginning to take shape in this moment in this text. And Philip, much like Jesus, listen, he isn't just declaring the gospel of the kingdom with his lips. Now he's clearly doing that. But he's also demonstrating the gospel of the kingdom as well. Look at the text. It says that the Samaritans both heard and saw. All right? So this brings us to the second thing that those who were scattered did. First, they declared the gospel of the kingdom in Samaria. Second, they demonstrated the gospel of the kingdom. They demonstrated it. All throughout the gospels, we see that Jesus unites words and actions together. Right? He, he didn't create a false dichotomy of either you preach the gospel with your lips or you show the gospel with your lives. He shows us a both end. He preaches the gospel with his words, and he shows the gospel of the kingdom with his actions. In other words, Jesus declares and demonstrates the gospel of the kingdom. In fact, there's many texts within the scriptures that show us this in the gospels. Matthew 4 is, is one example. Let me read part of it for you. Matthew 4.23 says, And Jesus went throughout all Galilee, teaching, using his words in their synagogues, and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout all Syria, and they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, those having seizures and paralytics, and he healed them. What we see here is that Jesus is declaring and demonstrating the gospel of the kingdom. He's bringing, in this moment, in Matthew 4, he's bringing the kingdom of God to earth, and Philip does the exact same thing in Samaria. Let me read it for you again, the part in Acts 8. And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and saw the signs he did. For unclean spirits, crying out with a loud voice, came out of many who had them, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. Does that sound familiar? It's almost an exact parallel to what we see in Matthew 4 in the ministry of Jesus. 
So what we see here in Samaria is that a group of Jesus followers from Jerusalem show up after being scattered by persecution and they show up continuing the ministry of Jesus. Right? They're living out the great commission of Jesus where he promises them that he will send the Spirit and that he will be with them through the Spirit and that he will send them with his authority and that they will be his witnesses to Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Can I just say to us today that this is exactly what Chicago needs. We are the sent ones of God, y'all. It's, it's our turn. It's our turn. Those of us here today who are in Christ have received his forgiveness. We've received his identity, his gospel, and the spirit so that we can declare and demonstrate the good news of the gospel of the kingdom wherever we find ourselves. We bring words with us, the words of a king, and we bring the culture of his kingdom with us. We show up and we speak out and we do so in a way that mirrors Jesus full of grace and truth. Hear me today. You and I, you and I are not in Chicago by chance, just like those folks were not in Samaria by chance. God has sent us here. God has sent you here today. Intentionally and purposely, he has scattered you to Rogers Park, to Park Rogers Park in this moment. So here's what is clear right now. Wherever God has us, we are to be his witnesses, declaring and demonstrating with words and actions the gospel of the kingdom of God. I mean, isn't this what our city needs? Isn't this what our culture and our country needs today? Right? In an age where we are so polarized by the kingdoms of this world who, who try their best to give us, to tempt us to give allegiance to the left or right, to divide us, to confuse us, to steal our purpose from us. Don't we need something different? Don't we need something different, y'all? Doesn't our city and our nation need something different today? Here's what it needs. It needs a kingdom that cannot be shaken. So the scripture says about the kingdom. It's a kingdom that cannot be shaken. One that has a God and a good king who loves us and gives, her, gives himself for us. That's the type of kingdom. And this kingdom is what those scattered brought to Samaria. That's what they brought to Samaria. And it changed Samaria. Right? Look at the end of the text. Get a Bible, look at Acts 8, 8. Here's how the text ends. They declare and demonstrate the gospel of the kingdom as they're scattered. And Acts 8, 8 says, so there was much joy in that city. So there was much joy in that city. Samaria was full of joy because the gospel of the kingdom showed up. That's why it was full of joy. What began as persecution what began as hardship for those in Jerusalem led to joy for those in Samaria. Isn't that something? <laughs> Only God can do this. Listen, he took those who opposed and hated the Samaritans and somehow he used them to bring joy to the people they neglected and hated. Listen, if that can happen then, can God not use you and me to bring joy to this great city of Chicago that we love? Joy. Joy, listen. Joy is something that's such an anomaly in our age. An age where depression and anxiety and demonizing and violence and division exist so vividly. We can't seem to figure out joy, can we? we? Haven't figured it out. In fact, the former mayor of Chicago said this last year. He said, she said that the summer of 2022 was going to be the summer of joy in Chicago. And listen, I commend her desire. I want joy to fill Chicago. I know you want joy to fill Chicago. 
But at the end of the day, listen to me. All the programs and all the political scheming and all the resources of humanity still can't truly bring joy to Chicago. Only the presence of God can do that. Hear me out. Only the presence of God through the kingdom of God and the king can fill this city with joy and truly change it. That's all the hope we got. We've been putting resources and political scheming and programs in the city for as long as it existed. Only one thing can truly change this city. Because joy, joy is something that's supernatural. Joy cannot fill a city without the king and the kingdom filling a city, amen? It's only when people who have experienced the multifaceted reality and beauty of Jesus and his kingdom, it's only when people, listen to me, it's only when people bow their knees to King Jesus and turn and follow his ways, only then will joy truly be able to fill a city. And we who are in Christ today are the sent ones of God with that good news of the kingdom. We have something special to offer Chicago that no one else has. And listen, it's not because you and I are are amazing. (laughs) That's not it at all. But it's because of the one we have put our hope in and the one we give allegiance to and the one we represent in the kingdom we are part of. We are commissioned today to declare the gospel of Jesus and to demonstrate the kingdom culture so that joy fills Chicago. Amen? Imagine, imagine if through us, what if we were known? What if we were known to be the people that brought joy to the spaces God had us in? What if you were known to be the type of people that when you showed up, joy began to fill the spaces around you? Like, with the joy of Jesus, and God help us with this, God help me with this, with the joy of Jesus spilled out to those around us and onto the streets of Chicago. Right? What a vision. What a calling. Amen? Well, as I close today, let me leave you with two action steps in light of this text. In light of the scripture passage, two action steps for us today. Number one is this. Receive joy. Receive the joy of Jesus today. Perhaps you're here today and you haven't received Jesus and his joy ever. Maybe you've been searching or intrigued or, or wanting something different and the current culture hasn't given you what you long for. Can I just be real with you for a minute? Listen, the culture cannot and will not give you what Jesus can. It's proven over and over again. It cannot and will not give you what Jesus can. Only Jesus can give you this type of joy and change. Listen, you were, man, you were meant to be connected to and to worship and to know the God who made you and created every good thing. And this same God who made you is the same God who came to earth to dwell among us, to live the life that you and I struggle and fail to live every single day. And this God who is Jesus, this God-man incarnate, he came to sacrifice himself for our joy. Listen, the cross of Jesus was hard. It was a, it was a type of persecution that he endured. And he endured it for the joy of the people, <laughs> right? For the joy of the people. Kind of like the believers in Jerusalem endured hardship for the joy of all peoples. God used that. In fact, Jesus says at one point that it was for the, the joy that was set before him that he endured the, the shame and the hardship of the cross. For the joy of all peoples. For your joy, he endured hardship. And listen, this same Jesus defeats death and he rose from the dead so that you and I or or anyone who would believe in him would have forgiveness and hope. We'd have reconciliation to to God. We'd have a new purpose. We would have eternal joy. Eternal joy that never ends, that never never runs out. 
that nothing can deter. He took, Jesus did, our burdens and our griefs and our sin, and in exchange, he gives us his freedom in place of our burdens. He gives us his righteousness in place of our sins. He gives us his joy in place of our griefs. (laughs) So can I just encourage you and exhort you today to turn from your way and your sin and receive Jesus and his joy today, and your life will never be the same. So receive joy. Number two, spread joy. Listen, take the kingdom of joy wherever you are. (laughs) Take it with you. It's in you. The kingdom of God is within you, Jesus says. Wherever you work, wherever you play, wherever you live, take it with you. And maybe, listen, maybe even take it to a new place to plant the gospel of the kingdom. Go plant some kingdom of joy somewhere, amen? If you have received Jesus today, if you are in Christ, you are now an ambassador of the kingdom, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5. That's your identity, one of your identity markers. You're an ambassador, a representative of King Jesus and his kingdom culture, wherever he has sent you. You have the Spirit of God dwelling in you if you're in Christ. And God has placed you now in the here and now, Acts 17 says. He has chosen to place you in this time and age and place to be sent to spread the joy of Jesus. So scatter it like seed. Scatter it like seed. In fact, would you pray today and ask God to give you the wisdom and the power to do that wherever you work, play, or live? wherever hobbies you engage in with others, to be a sent one that brings the king and kingdom with you. And lastly, hear me out. Maybe God is calling you today and sending you today, just like he sent these groups of people to Samaria. Maybe he's calling you today and sending you today to go help bring joy, to go help bring the kingdom to a place that is underchurched and neglected or a hard place like Samaria. Can I say there's a lot of Samarias out there? There's a lot of Samarias out there. Neglected, forgotten, hidden, that need the king and the kingdom. And we are the sent ones of God who get to go bring that to them. (laughs) There's places out there. Maybe God's calling you to a place like this today. Maybe it's uptown. Pray about it. (laughs) A place that needs more light bearers and more kingdom people. In fact, would you pause and pray right now? Would you pause and pray right now and say, hey, God, if that's me, that's me. If you are sending me, if you are sending me, here am I, send me. Would you help me, if you're sending me, to not ignore your prompting and the movement of the Spirit, but to obey you as you send me to bring the joy of the gospel to a people and place that desperately need it. Would you send me? Would you submit that to the Lord and to the Spirit? Listen, we cannot reach or change this city without being sent ones. We can't. Without Jesus being sent, all of us in this room are lost. Without Jesus being sent to us. Nineveh, right? Nineveh wasn't going to be reached unless Jonah obeyed God's call to be a sent one. Samaria wouldn't have been changed if those who were sent and scattered didn't declare and demonstrate the gospel of the kingdom. And listen, at some point in your life, someone was sent to you so you could respond to the gospel. In Chicago, in the nations, in Rogers Park, in Uptown, won't be reached or changed unless we obey God's call to be the sent ones who declare and demonstrate the gospel of the kingdom.
So wherever God has you today, or wherever God is calling you today, let's receive the joy of Jesus and spread it to others. Amen? Maybe said of Chicago that there was much joy in that city because the kingdom of God showed up. Amen? So pray with me. Father, again, thank you for your word. Thank you for the movement of the gospel. Where would we be without the movement of your gospel? Where would we be without Jesus being sent to earth and living the life we cannot live and dying the death we deserve and taking our penalty and our sin and our shame? Where would we be if he didn't rise from the dead, defeating our greatest enemy that is death? Where would we be if he did not reconcile peoples underneath one new family called the church? Where would we be if we didn't gather together and hear from this word? Where would we be if we did not, if someone was not sent to us? How beautiful are the feet of those sent. Help us to receive, yes, the gospel, to receive you, to rest in you, yes, to receive your identity as sons and daughters, as, as family. But help us to be sent to love others, to all people, to declare and demonstrate the good news of the gospel that we have received. Help us not neglect it. Use us. Build your church. Glorify your name. We love you, and we cannot do this without you. In Jesus' name, amen.